HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. The following is a message from NOFA and Y. Do you dig local food? Love organic farmers? Do you crave to be part of a growing movement of consumers concerned with the state of our nation's food system? Then sign up today to take the NOFA and Y's Locavore Challenge this September. Join 5,000 other New York Locavores that are hungry, active, and ready to change our food system. Learn more at www.nylocavorechallenge.com. Okay, it's Thursday at 1 o'clock, and you are tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report, coming to you live from the back of Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Recently awarded two stars and a glowing review by Sam Sifton in the New York Times. Check it out, and then come on down for some pie. We are on the line today with Seth Jacobs of Slack Hollow Farm to get the update on how upstate farmers were affected by this past weekend's Hurricane Irene. Seth, how are you? Hey, Aaron. Good, thanks. Awesome. Thank you for joining us on the show today. It's great to have some eyes on the ground up there. So first off, let's start with the items that are close to home. How did Slack Hollows fare during the storm? Uh, We had uh, just about no problems at all. Uh, And uh, that's not not typical, uh, but it, it, it runs the gamut because we're an upland farm and we don't have any streams that flow onto our farm. Uh, We didn't have any trouble. And that's where the trouble was. Uh, we didn't have high winds in this area. We, uh, the power wasn't out, but uh, we had a lot of rain. Okay, so... All, all, the pro- all the problems around here came from flooding. From flooding. So yeah. you guys are about 200 miles north of the city. And so, nor- so, so you said you're an uplands farm. Now, now during you know, non-hurricane conditions, does this pose other challenges for you as, as far as like access to water or, or the kind of quality of the land being on a hill as far i mean in contrast to like being closer to a water source or being on land you know off a stream uh well for us uh it just means we've been uh 
you know, a few days we couldn't work the ground, but we're pretty much, everything's pretty much back on track now. Soil's a little wet, a little compressed from having had been saturated and had the air squeezed out of it. But really, compared to what, uh, what's uh, going on for a lot of farms, we're having no, tr- no troubles whatsoever. That's great. Uh, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of, I would say that there's a lot of, there's some disadvantages to farming up, upland soils. They tend to be stone in New England. They tend to be stonier, uh, and uh, you've got all the problems of dealing with slope and all. But uh, after the last few years, there have been a number of major flooding events, and I'm feeling much more, uh, much, much more sanguine about having chosen a hillier farm. Yeah, I have this quote here from Daryl Albertine, the commissioner of uh, New York State's Department of Ag and Markets, uh, from a recent New York Times article. He says. I've been involved in agriculture my entire life, and there have been times when the weather has wrecked havoc on livestock, livestock and farms. But I don't think I have ever seen anything on this scale here in New York. So it sounds like Slack Hollow, Slack Hollow escaped, you know, fairly unscathed. Um, what have you been hearing from your neighbors and, and other farms in the region? Yeah, well, there's, it's, it's a pretty multidimensional thing because you've got the transportation links, uh, a lot of which have been severed, so just like the whole farm-to-market thing is a little more problematic, especially in the Mohawk Valley over in Vermont. Uh, I'm not so aware. I'm, I'm sure it's bad down in Connecticut and uh, Massachusetts as well. But uh, there, it, it runs the gamut. I visited a, farm last, a big CSA farm last night that had uh, probably 20% of its fields flooded. And the, uh, the, a lot of the roads washed out and the farmer was trying to repair his roads and broke the front axle on his tractor. Oh, wow. Uh, on his big tractor. So he was really feeling like uh, like Job when I got there. <laughs> uh, but I've, uh, I've read, you know, there are farms that where everything is gone, uh, uh, and then and it runs the gamut of farms like ours where, where they came through unscathed. Okay, uh, so, and, and, you know, I think it's important to... to talk a little bit too you know this time of year i mean we're really at kind of peak harvest so a lot of a lot of the damage is kind of you know really amplified i think by the fact that the majority of the farm's income is is being harvested at this time of year so if you have you know if you were um hit that that the damage done now versus say the storm you know in the spring or or in the winter is, is much more significant yeah absolutely uh, I'm looking through a report of uh, losses from farmers in Vermont, and I can read you some. Uh, four acres, $100,000, all our fall storage crops, leeks, Brussels sprouts, pumpkins, potatoes, carrots, lettuces. Uh, lost 10 acres of pumpkins, uh, damage to infrastructure, $25,000, crop loss, $21,000. Uh, here's one. Uh, there's literally nothing left. Uh, and uh, it says the river has taken a new course and is now tearing through our farm. Total loss is probably $145,000. Wow. Now, yeah. So people, it's still sinking in. Uh, I can, there's some more that uh, some folks lost a lot of, a lot of animals. Uh, and it just, the list is, I'm reading through this list, it goes on and on and on and on. So uh, I think a lot of farmers are going to, are going to lose their, you know, decide to not farm anymore. That would be my guess. I mean, we're a pretty tenacious bunch, but sometimes there's only so much you can take. 
No, of course. And I mean, what are the resources? I mean, as far as I know, you know, for 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 New Yorkers, hunker down uh, here in the city as the storm passed through, you know, there is definitely lots of questions of, you know, does my renter's insurance cover flood damage or does my homeowner's insurance cover flood damage? And, and, and what do I do and who's responsible? Is it me? Is it my landlord? Kind of who who's supposed to be kind of taking care of business? What are what are the resources for farmers, or, or what are the types of insurance that you know people look to to um, call upon when, when something like this strikes? Yeah, very few people have crop insurance. Very few people have uh, insurance that covers flooding, uh, and a lot of a lot of uh, you know general policies for farms don't cover flooding. Same as with housing. Uh, so yeah, I was really, surprised to learn we're, that. We're, yeah, we're really sort. That's really it's, that has to all be sorted out. A lot of it's. Uh, a lot of it's just sinking in. This is a big. It, it's just one of these, you know. It's like a you know geological event that's of a on a bigger than a human scale, and uh, it takes a while for that to sink in. Uh, there's there's loans out there, but I don't know that I'd borrow money at a time when I'm uh, when I was making less than I than I you know than I expected. Yeah, and you mentioned you know one of the first items that you read off is the loss of fall storage crops. So. You know that that is you know not only the the income stream as far as what you would be harvesting right now, but also the things that you would harvest and store to kind of create a steady stream of income throughout the winter. Um, so I has to I have to imagine that's like a pretty you know bleak landscape to be looking out on. Um, have you gotten a chance to, you know driving around to kind of see um, see some of the farms firsthand? I mean, are there any striking images that you want to share with us? Well, I could tell you if you want to see a nice uh, see pictures, go to vpr.net, Vermont Public Radio, or vpr.org, and they have a photo gallery. Uh, you could see a lot of the get an idea. It's mostly rows and stuff. I've been on one farm, uh, but the thing with farming is, uh, you know, I'm, we're getting our fall lettuces out in the ground. We have a lot to do, and it's you know every day is kind of a battle for farmers, and uh, the. One of, the, one of the strange realities of with farming is uh, what's bad for the other guy is good for you. And so, like like my job right now, it sounds you know sounds self-centered, but it, it's uh, it, this is what it is. Is you know to farm as best I can and uh, get as much out of the situation for my business as I can. It's that it's 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 just always that way with farming. Uh, it, you know whether it's floods in California, whatever's bad for the other guy is good for you. And so it's uh you know I'm of two you know I'm two minds about it it's and and we're all still in shock, we're all still in shock. Wow. Yeah. No. I yeah. guess you know, it, and I think that that kind of brings up this bigger point about farming in general is that, you know, I heard this uh, this great quote once that far, farming with uh, you know growing food without an economic imperative is called gardening. It's not called farming. You know, far, uh-huh. I think like really kind of you know the point that brings brings up to the forefront for me is, is like farming is a business and so if you're looking kind of strategically at things that are going to impact your bottom line you know obviously there are some opportunities that are are going to come your way as a result of this as a result of this flood but you know that being said obviously no one's ever happy to see to see someone else put out of business I'm sure right right um, I know I was on the phone earlier today with um, Mike Yezzi of Flying Pigs Farm, just just calling to kind of touch base and see how the animals and things had fared over there. And they do have um, a a couple of acres of corn planted at the the back end of their property that belongs to a 
a dairy farm up the road, and he said, you know, when he got back up on, on Saturday evening that the, the corn was completely submerged in water. And I know having just taken the trip up there, I think, last week, that, that corn is like seven, eight feet tall. I mean, I, I can't oh, yeah. even imagine, like, walk, you know, driving past and seeing a, an entire stock of corn totally submerged in water. This is the, I know the farm is, the, you're talking about the piece down by the river. Yeah, for Kenyon Hill Farm, right, right, right down, yeah. right on the Batten Kill. Yeah, well, the river's, the river's got very high, that's all I can say. Uh, uh, even, even the little creek flowing off our farm, which starts on our farm, was big enough to put a boat in, and so you multiply that out, and the, the, the rivers had to take a lot of water. A lot of, lot of uh, close calls on dam failures, and, uh, uh, yeah. Just in general. Well, yeah, well, and, you know, so I, 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 was, I was curious, and I was asking, like, well, what are they going to do with that field? And he said, you know, they're not sure yet because they can't, they don't want to go down and chop it because the, the dirt and the silt that's now covering the corn uh, is potentially really damaging to their equipment. And obviously, even if it, if it dries out down there, they, they're not going to be able to, to use that or to mix that in. To, to their normal feed because you have, you know, their concerns. The dirt is one thing, but also, you know, the potential for mold or other damage. And I just started thinking about, you know, this corn, this like cornfield and like what, you know, like what are, what are the options there? It's just going to hang out until, yeah. you know, you just pl- well, plow it under, I guess. That's a good question. Uh, as a vegetable growers, we're all wrestling with that right now. I was just emailing the board of our market. Uh, because there are some pretty strict rules about what you can and can't sell, what you can do with produce that has been flooded. If, if it was just rainwater, standing water on the farm itself, that's one thing. But when rivers come onto fields, they're, likely, they're very likely to be contaminated with uh, 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 barnyard, you know, having come through other farms, from sure. dairy farms, uh, over, overflow and septics. And then there's also chemical contamination if there were cars and oil cans in the river and so on. Uh, so in the vegetable business, we're being told nothing that was, nothing that was flooded can be sold. Now, if, it, if the flooding came from off the farm, you cannot sell that, the crop that was un, underwater. And that is a rule that's coming out from the market system that you work in, is that correct? It, that's, that's, uh, dep- uh, I can tell you who's, who that is. That is uh, USDA Farm Service Agency. Okay. Yeah. So then as a farmer, you know, what, what are your, I mean, it, obviously you have to go out into the field and kind of harvest what, what is essentially compost. I mean, is, is that the case? Yeah, or, you can't... Or, just, or just till it in, yeah. And does that, like tilling that in, does that have any kind of long-term effects uh, on the land? I mean, is, or is that something that would kind of happen regardless at the end of the season? Yeah, yeah. No, no long-term effects. Depending on the type of contamination, if it's biological contamination, it's no problem. If uh, if it's chemical contamination, there could be there could be a problem. But I think that's that's a pretty limited scenario. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, the other thing that he that the other thing that Mike had mentioned is you know their their lane hens were I, I don't know I think a few yards from where the water came up to and you had mentioned you know hearing from some farmers who have had a livestock loss and I think that's for me it kind of a, a, always like a little hard to understand visually like when uh, when when a storm like that hits how how is it that animal loss 
you know, occurs? Because essentially you can't, can't move them. There's nowhere else to put them. I mean, do you have any sense of, of what, that, what that kind of looks like? Well, I mean, I can, I've seen, you know, tractors underwater and so on, and it's just it's really a case of nobody was expecting it. It's, it's, a, it's an event that if you weren't predicting it, it, and it, uh, it oftentimes the water came very quickly. Uh, I'm looking at one farm here, livestock, uh, $4,800 lost in dead pigs and lambs. Uh, so they were, they, they were, like everyone else, they were surprised. They were caught, caught unaware, and all of a sudden there was more to do than you, had, than you could do. And, uh, you, uh, you know, in a situation like that, you're trying to protect your, your, own, li- your own life. Your own life, yeah, yeah, and you're making choices. Well, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk a little bit about what, that, what those moments looked like right, right before the storm hit for you. Okay. bringing it back you are tuned into the farm report uh coming to you from the heritage radio network we are on the line with seth jacobs of slack hollow farms talking about post irene in upstate new york and the northeast more generally so seth i know here in in brooklyn you know the the word got out pretty quickly via radio in, internet tv that the storm was coming you know bloomberg shut down the MTA, Saturday at noon, they evacuated the Rockaways uh, down by Brighton Beach, Battery City Park. They, there was a uh, National Guard on hand, kind of people facilitating getting the city prepared for the impending storm. And I'm curious, you know, up in, up in your region, which is obviously a much more rural area, how, how did that getting ready for the storm look? What were the resources available to you? And, and you know, just more generally, but also specific to farmers. I mean, is there infrastructure in place, or is everyone kind of every you know every man, every farm for himself, herself? Uh, yeah, pretty much the farms. Uh, it's up to the individual farmers. Uh, there's too much. There's too, you know we're uh, farmers. Farmers are on their own for that sort of thing. Uh, the towns had 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 their own stuff to deal with, and we don't have the kind of infrastructure for managing. Uh, there's not a lot. There's just not a lot of public infrastructure up here. 
So uh, farmers are pretty much on their own. And the, the, the hard thing was you didn't know what to get ready for, whether it would be high winds or uh, being without power for weeks or, weather, or the flooding. And it turned out to be just flooding. Just the flooding. So yeah. what about at, you know, at Slack Hollow? So, you know, it's Friday evening, Saturday morning, and, and you know, the, the, the storm warnings are becoming increasingly elevated. I mean, I know they were here in the city. What did, what did getting prepared for the storm look like on your farm? Uh, well, it was, uh, for winds, we were trying to secure the greenhouses. And uh, uh, we didn't have a lot of time. And my, you know, my wife was away taking my son to college, and I was at market Friday and Saturday. So I basically just had Saturday evening. Uh, uh, a lot of farmers, I think, did get their did do did move their livestock, and uh, what we were all the vegetable growers were uh, definitely securing the greenhouses, uh, making sure the tractors were on higher ground. And uh, but from reading these reports a lot of a lot of farmers just had no idea that this was going to happen they had no idea which direction the danger was going to come from why is that i mean what what do you think was the breakdown there well it's you know kind of, it's like when any like huge natural disaster hits and you didn't see it coming uh uh there i don't think i would i don't think it is a breakdown uh okay you know, these floods are—they're calling them hundred-year floods. Although now we've had several, several in a row here around here in less than a hundred years, uh, so th- the weather has been getting more severe. But these—these these are these kind of a, you know these kind of meteorological and geological events—they're kind of outside the scope of normal human activity, and they—they they come with a power that's you know that's just way bigger than human scale. Uh, so. You know, it's 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 kind of hard to prepare for something that's so so out of uh, outside of your daily life. You know? Sure, uh, sure. If you look at these pictures of the road washouts, it's you know it's not just a little corner of the road's gone. The whole valley is, has been scoured clean, and and you don't even see how they're going to rebuild the road. Uh, it's it's hard to get your mind around, uh, yeah. like even even after the fact, let alone beforehand. Well, I have been reading accounts of you know farmers pulling several you know trailer loads of garbage out of their fields as they become flooded, and and things get picked up from the the you know town a little further down the river and then dumped, you know where they can recognize chairs from the porches of restaurants that are in town that are now on their field and, and collecting just kind of this hodgepodge of things that have been, been washed and placed on their land. I mean, must be, I, I don't even know, not like a scavenger hunt, I guess, because you're not taking a lot of pleasure in it, but just this real reminder of kind of the power of, of nature to, to move things, really. Totally. We're all, we're all kind of in shock, uh, absolutely, over just that. Yeah. What do you think, I mean, what do you think, if anything, kind of in the future or, or thinking, you know, moving forward might be some opportunities for lessening damage in the future or for being, you know, more prepared from an infrastructure standpoint? Are there things that, you know, systems or, or, or people or policies that, that might, you know, serve to protect um, or prevent, you know, the scale of damage that we saw? Or is it just, you know, chalk it up to... To, to tragic, you know, natural events? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, uh, I think we're going to be all tra- thinking, thinking through that one. I mean, the, the farms that flooded are the farms that were on the floodplain, and that's good agricultural land. Uh, 
and that's where you know that's farm should that's where farms should be on the good land. But on the other hand, those nice flat fields next to the rivers and and the creeks, that that soil's there because the river put it there, and uh, and you know here the river was coming back and putting it there again, uh, but we were we were there too. Uh, so it's kind of this intersection of you know geologic time versus human time and geologic scale versus human scale, uh, and you know I suppose in the long run we could b- build you know put all the structures and st- stuff uh, elevated and on the sides of the sides of the valleys, uh, but it, uh, that's a, that's a bigger question than than I can handle right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I'm just thinking. You know, I think one of the things that's always challenging in in a in a disaster like this is if you weren't you know directly impacted how how can you you know make a difference how can you contribute to some relief and i wanted to just share with our listeners some information i got from Jean Hodesh who is the publicity corner coordinator for New York City Green Markets and you know she she said of the green market farmers here in New York City that while many of their farmers were severely impacted by the storm many were also able to harvest a good amount of food before Irene hit and that uh, it is more important now than ever to shop from your local growers. Please do think about all you can buy from your neighborhood green market while preparing for Labor Day cookouts this weekend. Think about putting up the summer bounty to enjoy through the colder months to come. In coming weeks, as waters recede, we'll learn about the full extent of the damage and have more information about ways for city residents to support relief, relief efforts. But for now, the most immediate aid loyal shoppers can offer is to keep shopping and spread the word um, they do have a donation page at www.grownyc.org, um, and 100% of the donations made through that site will go to um, New York City Green Market Farmers to help in the re- relief effort there. So I definitely want to get that information out. And then, you know, you are also um, selling at green markets uh, over in Troy, correct? Uh, we, yeah. And anywhere else, I mean, that you would send our listeners to as far as... Um, you know, being able to kind of use their their shopping dollars to to support farmers at at this time. Well, all the green markets in New York City, like you say, absolutely. Uh, yeah, farmers definitely need need support now. And uh, I know a lot of this, a bunch of farms up here are very large CSA farms that that have uh, market their shares in the city. And I'm sure a high percentage of your listeners are CSA members, and so some of them are going to feel the effects in their in their CSA share. I know that Roxbury is going to have to quit early this year uh, and some other some other farms that supply the city. Well, that is so, kind of one uh, of the the things about, you know, the CSA. You are sharing that risk with a farmer, and some, some years that means bounty and other years, you know, it, it doesn't. Right. I was going to say exactly that. It, uh, yeah, so some a lot of your listeners have already done taken a big step towards uh, by sharing the risk with farmers by, by uh, participating in a CSA. Awesome. Well, Seth, thanks, thanks so much for coming on today and kind of giving us uh, a little bit of an update from the front. And we uh, will we'll stay tuned on this issue and, and look forward to hearing more from you in the future. And um, so happy for you and your family and for Slack Hollow that you were able to escape the storm relatively unscathed. Yeah, me too. I appreciate it. Thanks, Erin. Thank you, Seth.
This is a message from Fork and Anchor. Aaron Fitzpatrick, the host of our wine program, Unfiltered, is looking for help on Kickstarter to open Fork and Anchor, a general store inspired by two food-loving ladies with an equal affection for urban life, the sea, and the agricultural paradise of Long Island's North Fork. The store is situated in a growing community of farmers and winemakers and will become a meeting place offering prepared foods, a variety of sun-dries, and a selection of homespun products, many of which will have their origins in New York State. Your backing will help them fulfill their dream of fostering relationships with the community and making the local food system accessible on a broader scale. Search kickstarter.com for Fourth and Anchor and donate today. The following is a message from Nofa and Y. Do you dig local food? Love organic farmers? Do you crave to be part of a growing movement of consumers concerned with the state of our nation's food system? Then sign up today to take the NOFA and Wise Locavore Challenge this September. Join 5,000 other New York locavores that are hungry, active, and ready to change our food system. Learn more at www.nylocavorechallenge.com.